Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts On the edge with April Mahoney Brains. You are at the best podcast on the planet. Yes, indeed. This is the place where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never done. Today, we have Kashan Bashar. I'm so glad I took my time to say that. It's a beautiful <laughs> name. This is a very, very smart woman. She is the author of not one, but more than one book. She's the mother of three. She's a businesswoman, uh, an HR professional. She's retired now. She's living her best life. But she's not just sitting on a stump. She's pouring into other women that have been victims of domestic violence. That maybe by no fault of their own, they were involved in an arranged marriage. Those are still happening now. They're very prevalent, but they're struggling and they're having self-doubt. They don't think that there's any way out, but Keshan is going to talk to us about that and so much more. Let's welcome her to the show. How are you, Kanchan? I am good, April, and I'm so happy to be here with you, uh, your popular podcast and through this i would like to give a message to the other woman as you said so yeah i'm very happy to be here tell us a little bit about your story and how you show up in the world so my story starts with a, you know with a very blessed blessed uh, life that i was born in and brought up in a very progressive environment where my parents they nurtured us. Uh, they were literally in love with each other. That's what I saw while growing up. Uh, they cherished each other and they nurtured each other. Um, and that is what my perception about a marriage was, that a woman has to be respected, period. There was no question of uh, having any physical uh you know, um, beating or anything like that, or even an emotional torture. Uh, on the woman that you get married to. But then uh, my husband, who I got uh, with in an arranged marriage, did not uh, share that perception. He turned out to be an alcoholic, an abusive, and a very aggressive narcissist. Mm. So when the arranged marriage, and let me tell you a little, you know, in one sentence, what arranged marriage is in India, uh, they are very popular in India still, but when I was growing up and when I got married in the early 80s, um, or rather 80 itself, um, the arranged marriages were almost like 95% of the population was going through arranged marriages. And now I think they have decreased to say 70% or so. So still in the rural areas and the interior areas, the arranged marriages take place wherein the boy and the girl, their elders, their parents, they decide who the would-be uh, match would be. So they do the matchmaking. Mm. 
Okay, uh, now let me let me kind of interject there because I, there's a couple questions I want to ask there. Now the parents decide, so the parents must know the parents of the other of the other participant, and they have a meeting or whatever it is, and they feel that the that their two children are compatible. Is there a dowry paid from uh from the girl's family to the boy's family for marrying her? That seems different here yeah. in the United States. It's more the the young man would you know pick the pick the wife. So you tell me, how does that work? So yes, dowry. Uh, this uh, particular uh, norm has been there for ages now, and uh, when the girl gets married. Uh, she takes the dowry with her, meaning that she either takes a lot of gold of, uh, you know, certain value or she takes cash with her or she's asked to bring even, you know, something like a car or, a, you know, it's demanded by the boy's family saying that the boy would like to have a car or a motorcycle or a property in his name. But in but different I'm sorry, I just want to ask a, a cultural question because I don't know. Why is it that the woman has to pay to be bought? I, I, I don't understand what that means. Is there a perceived lesser value on the female than on the male? Yes, yes, yes. So historically, if you see in any patriarchal society, and India is a patriarchal society, where men is supposed to be the God Almighty, um, you know, he has the power, he can have the control, but the woman is supposed to be serving that man. So when she is married, it's like, a, you know, doing a favor to the girl's family that we are going to take your girl with us or, you know, the would-be bride uh, in our family. And so she has to get certain amount or certain kilos, so, so to say, um, of gold with her. But like I said, different states in India has a little bit different norm in the sense that um, on the southern side of India, it is too, too common and the, uh, the girl is almost weighed mm. you know, in, in a, and equal amount of gold is to be given. So if she's weighing, say, 100 pounds, <laughs> they, they have to give 100 pounds of gold. So... Okay, but, but but my my whole thing is okay. So the girl, the girl goes through a lot. She really goes through a lot because she has no choice. She's being sold by her parents for a suitor. And also, uh, educate me on this: is there is a, I don't know, written law, unwritten law, that you are to stay with this person. There's no divorce. Yes, yes. So the divorces have not been there. Um, I wouldn't even say that they are not common. They are not there, period. Uh, they were not there when uh, in the 80s and the 70s um, because typically the arranged marriages happen within that society or within that community that, like you said, one family knows the other family. So it is like looked down upon if the girl asks for a divorce. You know, the families then get broken with each other. The relationship then doesn't work. So it is said, I mean, it is an unwritten norm or a rich, not a ritual, but a norm itself that once a girl gets married, 
her dead body body will only come out of that house wow that is imbibed in our heads so that is one big reason that that becomes ingrained in our heads when we get married that there is no way i have to accommodate i have to make adjustments uh with this man whether he is a handicap whether he is uh, you know mentally uh retarded or whatever that is you have to live with that man that has been the ritual for ages and ages but things are changing like in every society it's developing and women are are saying no to that you know i've had indian women that have been on that have said no you know i'm yes. not doing that but yes. that is come with uh maybe leaving india and becoming more westernized you know no, not really indian society itself it is now uh, the urban society has expanded to almost 25% from 5% when i was there uh, so the urban women are educated now and you know they are getting empowered they know the laws they understand the whole you know the family system the norms the everything and, and they are have... very smart they're getting you know they're getting these great jobs they're becoming doctors and yes. lawyers and they are really being able to be self sustainable and take care of themselves let me dial back one more one more page Was your mother and father's marriage an arranged marriage as well? They were uh that was a typical marriage of love and arranged together. Um so my dad saw my mom in that community and he fell in love with her and she equally when he saw him first time went and asked her mom whether you know who's this good-looking guy in our uh, vicinity and um and then um it so happened that i don't know uh, not many guys may know people may know that india and pakistan they got divided into two countries at the time and that was exactly the time that my mother my parents got married so once he fell in you know kind of a love at first sight kind of a thing he went to her mother to ask for her hand wow and that's that's beautiful And yeah. did you did you share that with your mom though you know when when they decided that you would get a, a an arranged marriage did you have the opportunity to kind of go to the side and say mom you know I don't know if I like this dude uh can you give me any instructions on this did she prepare you for being a wife what all that meant you know sexually spiritually financially were you prepped in any way so um april as far as i was concerned or i am concerned um i like i said i belong to an educated family my parents were both professional working people and they were very modern looking so there was no ban on me as such they i was not told that you will have an arranged marriage only i was given the liberty to look for a boy for a match for myself but then i typically moved in groups and uh somehow i did not pick up one particular person for myself you know um all my classmates typically were uh, not employed at the time and i was going to get married because there is an age gap when a girl gets married and a boy gets married a girl is typically at that time it was 22 to 25 and the boy would be 27 26 to 28 something like that So if you got married at the age of 30, you were an old maid at that point. At that point. Yes, yes. Wow. Because I guess also too, 
um, you know, the philosophy and tradition of women all along is that they want you during your prime because that's childbearing years. Yes. No. So moving forward, you get married. How long was it before you realized that this was not the man for you? Two weeks. (gasps) Oh, no. Two weeks after marriage, we had met only a couple of times before marriage, uh, between engagement period and the marriage period, which was six months. But he he was living far far away from Delhi. I'm a New Delhi girl. Uh, and he was living far away, employed, you know, about almost 400 miles away. Um, and we used to write to each other during this six-month period, but we met only twice for maybe like not more than an hour over a coffee, not even a dinner. So, but he was, he had a very, um, I would say, deceptive looks. He looked very charming. He had a very affectionate smile. He talked very smooth, you know, like typical Nazisar. So I got very attracted to his intelligence. He was intelligent, intelligent man. He asked me, you know, intelligent questions. And so we got along very well. I was, I was happy. I thought, you know, my parents and me, we have made a good choice. And my dreams are going to be met. You know, typically uh, a Prince Charming, uh, you know, every girl has their dreams. Well, when did he turn it? You said in two weeks he turned into a monster. Did he start speaking to you roughly or did you start noticing the drinking or yeah so you know i got married early december and uh 31st of december was the um new year's eve Mm -hmm. within two weeks so we had gone for a you know his office party and we were all there um in the party he had left me with certain you know strangers i had not known anybody in that place yet i had just moved there so he went and, you know, he started to drink and he kept drinking for, you know, whatever period we were there, two, three hours, and he mm. wouldn't come near me. He was, I couldn't find him anywhere, you know, in the crowd. He was all somewhere. Um, and uh, before we left the place, he, I, I heard some loud noises coming from outside and people were already leaving. And then I went outside to see where this man is. And I saw him, uh, you know, literally uh, fighting with another person and they were literally at each other, you know, and um, I got scared. So when I took his arm and I took him home, that is the time he started to blabber and talk and, you know, all the details are there in the book, though. But, uh, you know, that's how he started to talk about my parents, my family, and how bad the marriage was, and what a person I am, and all of that. And then, uh, you know, I it was a great surprise to me. It was a shock when he slapped me one on my oh. face. Wow. I was so shocked that I didn't even realize that he had slapped me because it was so hard and so, you know, like, with full force that when it started to burn like the red mark and I realized, oh my God, he has slapped me just now. And, you know, I just got up from there. I I said, please leave me. He was holding my wrist and he wouldn't leave me. And I said, please, I begged it. I went to the bathroom and I thought he's going to do it again. But then I went to the bed and I slept that day. But, you know, that slap never ended. That one slap became, you know, two slaps and then the push and the twisting of the arms. And then 
you know, it was a proper. Okay. Now, did you ever go back and, and I'm sure that, you know, your family being very progressive, your mother and your father, they understanding what intimacy and love actually means. Did you hide this because of the tradition that you did not want to be shamed, that you did not want to bring embarrassment to the family? Did you hide this as a secret? Did anybody ever know? From my family, I hid because my dad was a heart patient and he had some minor strokes, heart strokes already. And I knew that he loved me so much that if I tell him that, you know, somebody was doing this to me, he's going to have a heart attack. So that was one big reason I hid from my parents. And the rest of the society, I knew that I'll be shamed. Society was not on my side. I lived for him with him for a long time. The law was not on my side. The attorneys were not on my side. The society was not on my side. I was all alone fighting okay. all. But did you, okay, the thing is, did you seek out help or was this just something that was manifesting in your own mind? And the reason why I ask this question is because there's a young woman out there right now that is saying, hey, I don't have any resources. Are, and, and I know that you're saying things are a lot more progressive now, but, um, you know, did you kind of say, hey, you know, let me ask if there's some, if there's somebody out here that might help me as somebody else going through this, or do you just say, no, I'm going to stay here and try to, you know, maybe he'll get better. Maybe he'll stop drinking. You know, maybe this will work out. All of that happened, April. Wow. All of that happened. So initially, for many years, I kept thinking that he will, he can improve. I can improve him. I am a master's in social work, so you know my my thought process was that people can improve. Uh, but my in my thought, I didn't have that perception at that time that they can improve only if they want to. Mm. If they don't want to, they will not change. That came to me much later in life. And then by the time I realized after many years that he's not going to change and this is becoming worse and now my children are getting affected. So right. that is the time I started to look for help. Those were not the Google days. We didn't have computers. We didn't have Google at the time. So I had to look for really research as to a good lawyer, where I can go. And I was fearful of him too. If he comes right. to know, going to lawyers, then God knows what would happen. Absolutely. So the lawyers would tell me, they would embarrass me, you know, they would say, oh, ma'am, so you are looking for a divorce. What is it that's happening with you? And I would say that he, you know, he hits me. And they said, but why does he hit you? Mm. What are you doing to him? And if I say that, you know, he gets drunk and then he, he does that, and they would say, but that's not a crime. If he's drinking and beating, it's not a crime. There is no law against it. Wow. That's so, hard. So now you have, you know, so now you're into this relationship uh, with this man. You're locked in. You have three children. Were they, were they all small at the same time or were they kind of stagnated? Yeah. Three years. So my daughter was born within 11 months of my marriage. Wow. And my twins, twin boys were born after three years of my daughter because there was no precaution being used. Right. And that, that's what I'm saying. You know, I don't know um, in certain cultures, is that a conversation that you have with your mom before you get married, that she preps you that this is going to happen? Because I'm under the, 
the assumption that for most of these young women, their virginity is a part of the dowry. You know, we don't oh, want yeah. you, we don't want you to have you know somebody that's been all over the place. Absolutely, she's damaged goods. We want to give you a nice girl that's going to be honorable and respectable. But then the mindset to you is very still childlike because you haven't been exposed to these things. Oh, that yeah. That could be devastating. So you have these three children um, and you're still going through all of this. He did not try to subside or treat you any better once you had the children. No, no. It kept on increasing day after day. It just kept on increasing because his alcoholism, you know, earlier it was like initially it was like in the evening he would start and then it became like, you know, anytime during the day and then he was out of jobs and he would sit at home and start drinking from the morning. By the time I would come home, um, you know, I in the book I've written that too, I became financially independent because I wanted my children to have a good uh, upbringing and he was out of jobs. So I was educated. So I got a job you know, became financially independent. And that's an, again, a story wherein an angel came into my life and gave me a little jolt that, what are you doing to yourself? You're an educated girl, go and, you know, go out and look for a job. You become independent, you will gain confidence, you'll meet people, you are just like a vegetable right now, look at you um, with all these three children sticking to you. Um, and, uh, you know, once you become financially independent, then you can decide whether you want him in your life or you don't. Exactly. So you have you have more of it. But a lot of times that's a part of the control. You know, they alienate you from your family. They isolate yes. you. You don't have any friends. They talk to you to where you're nothing without them. They are superior. You are inferior. And they don't allow the wife to work. Or if they work, they take all of the money. So at least there was a window of opportunity for you there to be able to meet your way into financial independence. What would you say to a woman, um, Kenshawn, that is in a situation like that right now? What, what advice would you give her? Where would she begin? So the first thing that I would say is speak up. You have to share this with your family first. You have to share it with your friends. You have to share it with your neighbors. You have to share it with your colleagues. There is no shame in sharing. It is the perpetrator who should be shameful, not you. So why are you getting embarrassed? The society should know what's going on with you. That is number one. And also, I think some of the women, they don't even realize that they are being victimized. They think this is normal life, but it is not normal to be slapped. It's not normal to be pushed around. It's not normal to be, uh, you know, emotionally that somebody is demeaning you and being disrespectful to you or, you know, ex uh, financially that somebody is, uh, you know, trying to just keep you away from money and your family and everything. So, yes, the first step is to know, be aware that you are being victimized and then you visualize the freedom. You look at the freedom and you see that, wow, what freedom can do to me and what a life I can have. And that is the time that you make a commitment and say, okay, I am going to be free. And that is when you start to make a roadmap to be free. But before that, make sure 
that you are safe. When you know you have to be free, you, there could be so many situations where the perpetrator comes to know and it could get ugly. So you have to make sure that you are in a safe place. Make sure that your documents, your car keys, something like that is kept outside the house so that if you have to run out, then you have all that available outside and you can, you know, swiftly go out. So, well, yeah. I would so, uh, so ladies and gentlemen, because there are men that get abused too. I don't always just yes. like to say just women. Use your words. Use your voice. Have a strategy. Uh, if you get $100 a month for groceries, spend 85 and took that other 15 away. Absolutely. And also... Think about your desire. Think about your dreams. What do you want for you? Yeah. You know, do you want to be an artist? Do you want to be a baker? Do you want to be an accountant? Do you want to go back to school? Because once you come to the realization that you are going to break free from this enemy, you have to have a blueprint and some direction on where you want to go. Exactly. You don't want to just sit there, become depressed. Maybe you'll start using, you know, uh, substances to self-medicate. Maybe yeah. you'll become cruel to your children because, again, you're offboarding a lot of this anxiety that you have suppressed all this time. So counseling, coaching is paramount. Now, you have these three children. Um, I always like to ask about their well-being as well. They're seeing this. A lot of times people will say, oh, the children don't know. Let me tell you something. The kids know more than you think that they know. Absolutely. They hear yes. everything. They hear things when mama's not there, what daddy's doing. They see what mama's going through when daddy's not there. And yeah. this is epigenetic. This is generational trauma. You have two sons that are looking at this man. Yes. Model, father. You have your daughter. The first man that your daughter falls in love with is their father, like you did with yours, like I did with mine. It's yeah. very convoluted. How did you help them settle into the fact that, you know what, we're going to start a new life. We're going to leave. Yes, April. Um, I was very, very concerned about my children. And my thought was always that what wrong have they done that God has given them to us in this disgruntled and broken family. So I have to rear them up just as I was brought up. So that was my main focus. That became my main focus. And when the attorneys told me that you cannot have a divorce, you if you have a divorce, then all the three children will be divided. So I said, that is unacceptable to me. None of my child will go to them. So when the, I made a decision that I will live in this relationship till they turn 18, as I was told, um, I strategized at that time and that was a part of my roadmap and that was that is where I became financially independent. And by the time children were nine years old, I put them out in boarding schools. They were out of my house. Oh, wow. I, at that time, think that, oh, you know, my motherly feelings and their attachment to their mother. I said, no, if they rear up in this house, they will be deviants. They will be, God knows, sociopaths. You know, all these children, they, they poor things, they suffer. Wow. And my daughter, she came back from the boarding school within one year. She said that, mom, I don't want you to be alone with this man. She was 13 by that time. 
she came back home but she suffered a lot when she grew up oh, she God. went through acute depression she went through all the medications and god knows you know it was extreme but it was all sometimes i felt guilty but then you know i went through my therapy and what not so uh, she went through that yes children do suffer you come to a point in your life where you say i have to forgive i can't forgive for any other reason but to alleviate myself from this anxiety from this hurt because if i don't i will carry it and this person will always have control what was your aha moment uh, catch and when when did you surrender so there were two aha moments for me during the whole path or the journey uh, one was when i got divorced i literally jumped in the air literally and called all the people that i knew in this world to tell them i am free mm. i am free today i can do whatever i want in life now mm. and that took 23 years with him but the second aha moment came to me um, on my spiritual journey you know i started my spiritual journey much earlier before i got divorced i was always a spiritual person and uh, i followed the path a little bit you know during those 23 years it was very difficult for me to meditate and you know do all those things but i did somewhat um, i created space for myself sitting in a corner and doing some visualize creative visualization and you know just visualizing the whole mountains and the oceans and the flowers and the birds and just create some space in my head for myself so i did all those tools i used which are there in the book too um and uh, forgiveness and acceptance came to me uh during my journey itself that acceptance the whatever universe is bringing my way just accept it uh don't resist it because it will be tough then to for you to live that life and forgiveness came to me in 2013 when my daughter got married and i came back home after the marriage of course we had not called him invited he was not invited my daughter said don't even take his name mom i asked her do you want him to be here and she says no way so he was not there but when i came back uh, in the plane it's from india it's a 14 hours flight so i had been thinking about it and i thought that no i think i need to forgive him now you know and like you said i had to rise from my pain from my hurt which i thought i had risen out you know i had moved on and i didn't even think about him all these years but somewhere after the wedding i thought no i need to do that so i called him i came back i called him i had his number at that time now we don't have um and i i i told him that you know i wedded your daughter our daughter and uh, and he was trying to you know again raise his voice and shout at me and i said wow so he he was still in that in that controlling narcissistic mindset yes. huh right. oh yes. wow and i said listen my job was to tell you it was not even my job but i just felt like telling you she is your daughter too so i've told you and that's it that's my relation with you and i forgive you for whatever has happened and i kept the i just banged the phone that's all well you know what that took courage that took courage because a lot of people would have said no but again it was cleansing it was closure for you yes that's what we have to do is we have to find closure 
it's not going to erase the past brains. Yeah. It is what it is. But the things that don't kill you are the things that make you strong. Yes. So you've taken all this knowledge, this pain, this, 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 uh, this the self-love, the, the work that you've done on yourself, your therapy, and you put it in the pages of a book. Do you yes. have the book there with you? Yes, I do. Look at that. Let me it's see. called Weaving, How I Set Myself Free from an Abusive Marriage. Wow. It's pretty popular, too. I checked it out on, uh, on yes. Amazon. A lot of people are finding it. And I love it because it's culturally um, aware. There's a lot yes. of people that suffer from domestic violence. But when you see women from other countries that... This, the conversation of divorce is never there. The conversation of dating is never there. The conversation of sexuality and, res and responsibility is never there. Uh, having a baby, what that looks like, it's just do as you are told. Yeah. I want these women to pay close attention to this. There are so many countries, you know, Asian countries, African, Indian, Indonesia, I mean, we could just go on and on and on, where sometimes the girls are relieved that they're getting from up under their parents, but as they say, they jump from the pot to the frying pan. Oh, yeah. Once a woman has found her independence and gained her independence, um, there's a new awakening there. That's yes. a challenge, too, to settle into that because it's unfamiliar. What do you say to that young woman? So April, in my case, I would say it wasn't unfamiliar to me. I just had to revisit it, rediscover it, uh, recreate it. Because I had a good life. I had seen independence. I had seen freedom. I had seen kanchan, the bubbly kanchan, the laughing kanchan all the time. So I had to recreate it. It was difficult. It was not easy. But once I was committed that I want that kanchan back, I built boundaries around people. I was with positive people. I had, you know, good relationship building. Mm -hmm. uh, if there were some boundaries, even with my own children, you know, so don't think that I'll pick up the phone every time you call me. If I'm busy, I'm not going to pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so don't complain to me. I have my own life too. So yes, um, I did all of those things. Self-love was the first thing that I started with, building myself. Uh, self-care, self-love, self-preservation, self-compassion, all of those things I started and then I started rewiring wherein, you know, my whole hurt, I tried to erase that hurt from my mind by rewiring. I did creative visualization and then my belief in universe and belief in spirituality brought me angels and brought me close to my soul. That's a great segue. I want to hear about this angel. You told me a little bit about the angel. Would you share that with us a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, at that time, I didn't know so much about what a universe is. You know, an Indian girl not exposed to so much of, you know, the terms and everything. I knew I had faith in higher power for sure. But, you know, I didn't know. I didn't realize at that time that there were some magics that are going to happen in my life or some angel will come in my life. But... You know, I, on that path of mine, whenever I was totally 
sad and depressed and I would look up at the sky and say, God, please help me. I always thought I'm your blessed, blessed sheep. I always thought you are my father. Why aren't you helping me out? Please do that. And, um, you know, from somewhere, somebody just like you, April, you are coming on my base. You meet me somewhere in a coffee, just suddenly. You are coming across me and talk, start talking to me. And then you say, but you look like an educated girl to me. Why don't you start working? And that is the angel for me. Wow. April is the angel for me because so many people have told me start working, but it never hit me. But today, April has told me it just hits me. I go inside. I give my three children to my mother. I go into the bathroom. I cry a little more. And then I raise my neck. I, I erect my spine. I splash some water on my face. I, I put a bun of my hair in, in, my, in a bun. I put a coal. And then I say, this is the kanchan I'm going to become. Wow. That is what angels did to me. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. And there is not one, but the six or seven that I mentioned in the book. That wow. all these things, they changed my life. They changed and, my life. And the thing of it is too, uh, Brains, I need you to be conscious. I need you to be awoke. I need you to be in the present. If you are so depressed about what happened yesterday or five years ago, you're lost. Yes. If you are so um, futuristic about what, and, and concerned and anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow, you're confused. What you need to do is kind of just sit in the moment, in the present, and understand, appreciate, and be grateful for what you have. Know that there are options. Know that there is another source, whatever, however you want to reach it, connect with it. But there is something bigger, better, and greater. Absolutely. That protects us and loves us and honors yes. us. Yes, right. that out. Work with great people like Kanchan that are coaches, that have been there, that understand your pain, that will listen to you without judgment, that will give you options, that will let you pour your heart out to them, and they will be there to support you. There is, I get goose pimples. I know that there is hope for you. Please, Kanchan, tell them uh, how to get in contact with you, how to purchase a copy of the book. Um, just how to share in the experience and you help them grow and develop and become better. Yeah, sure. Um, I have a website by the name kanchanbhaskar.com. So my first name, last name.com. It's K-A-N-C-H-A-N-B-H-A-S-K-A-R.com. So you'll know more details about me in there, what profession I had been and, you know, what all my experience in life has been. I'm a voluntary coach in the state of Illinois right now. And I'm also coaching. Uh, my coaching website is uh, actually just being, uh, 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 what do they call? They're just redesigning it. It's called kanchanbhaskarcoach.com. Um, but you can have more information about the book on my website. Um, it's available on Amazon. It's available on Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, Target, you know, Walmart, all the stores. Mm -hmm. And I repeat, it's called Leaving, uh, How I Set Myself Free from an Abusive Marriage. So if you type Leaving by Kanchan Bhaskar, you can get it. 
and I'm going to put all the information at the back of the interview. Uh, I encourage you to please, you know, reach out for help. There is help. There is a new beginning. Yes. Think oh, about yeah. your children, if nothing else. Um, yes. Be careful. Have a plan. You want to leave a powerful message for those that are still being held captive. Share that with them. Yeah, sure, April. Um, one thing that I really would like to share is for the survivors like me who have been able to escape and come out on the other side, they should step out. They should not go behind the closed doors once again, you know, fearful of the perpetrator. What will he do? Just, you know, once you're free, let's all get together and give our voice to these silent victims who are being tortured, who are in trap, and they do not know what to do with their life. Our collective voice can become powerful and we can become the change agents for this society to change. Absolutely. And, you know, God bless you. So I thank you, Ketchum, for being thank here with us on the edge. Brains, I would like for you to please go in and love, like, share, and subscribe. Love, like, share, and subscribe. Follow both of us. Share this with someone that is struggling right now. Be conscious. But the first thing I need you to do is look in the mirror and say, I love me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so uh, much, Keshan. You're the yeah. best. Thank you so much, April. Bye, Brains. Yeah. <laughs>